This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Karen Tanabi, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So you're in DC. I'm in, still in San Francisco, but nice. heading home shortly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been so wonderful here. I love the United States. Listen, you've been, um, I can't help thinking, I mean, you've, you've written for Politico, which is quite a serious political magazine. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is. I was probably the least serious person there, but I did work there for about two years and yeah. it was fascinating. I mean, it was actually kind of the best thing to do before I became a novelist because I was a reporter and I had to write so often and really develop a uh, thick skin when yeah. by the time I had to write like a hundred thousand words I was no longer intimidated or worried about what people think okay totally. let me introduce you Karen is a best-selling author of books including a woman of intelligence the price of inheritance and the diplomat's daughter and the book that we're talking about today the gilded years she is a former reporter for Politico as we just said her writing has appeared in the Washington Post and she appeared on Entertainment Tonight and CNN uh, Karen is a graduate at Vassar College, where her book, The Gilded Years, is set. It tells the true story of Anita Hemmings, the first black student to graduate Vassar College by passing as a white woman. The Gilded Years is set to be made into a film by Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine. How exciting is that? Thanks. Very exciting. That was probably the best phone call of my life. Um, well, I can imagine. My agent was like, are you, are you sitting down? And I was very unglamorously in a car with a baby and uh, it was nice. It really felt like, you know, you put in the work and you're trying to juggle your life through motherhood and your career and to have something like that happen was very exciting. Okay. So I want to go back to how your career started, not in terms of writing books, but how it is that you came to writing and, and tell me about how you became a journalist and really a storyteller. Yeah. So uh, I've always loved lying. Just kidding. <laughs> no, that does really help with books. Um, no, I, it's funny. I almost like could not have become anything else. So my dad was a book editor for the Washington Post book section growing up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he got so many free books. I mean, they got like every book in America sent to them and there were five people. So divide every book in America by five. And that's how many books we had in our house. So I was a really early reader. I loved reading. I loved writing. When I was nine, my fourth grade teacher uh, did a writing workshop and she like gave us journals and lowered the lights. And it was one of those magic moments for me. Honestly, I could, I could draw the scene. I remember it so well where I was just, I had that, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life feeling. And my dad tried really hard to dissuade me. He would say all the time, you will work constantly and get paid nothing. Mm. 
Um, Which, you know, is true. <laughs> it is, it is true. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's some stats that I've seen and that they're Australia-based, of course. They're talking that, you know, people are saying in these numbers that, you know, Australian authors uh, average 12000 per annum a year in total income. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I read similar here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, it's a really tough field. And not only is it tough financially, it's hard to work solo for so long, you know, especially I'm a total people person. I was a reporter. I love talking to people. So to kind of do the opposite of that as as my career is, is a little tough. So my dad tried really hard not to have me be a writer. It's funny. People are always like, oh, your dad must be so proud of you. And I'm like, well, I mean, he probably is at this point, but I think he thought I was mighty stupid for a while. But I just had the bug. I wanted to do it. I was, you know, the editor of my poetry magazine in high school. I worked on magazines in college. And then just I wrote a really bad novel when I was 21 and because we call my that dad, practice. Yeah, I call that garbage, but um, <laughs> you can call it that. <laughs> oh, I have never reopened the files yeah. ever. But you know what? Now I look back on it and I wrote it like sort of half drunk while I lived in Paris and I felt like very poetic and important. But it taught me that I could write that quantity, you know, and I think that's sort of a huge uh, thing. I think it can be really intimidating to write so much. So I did it. And then I pitched it to a really big agent in America because my dad was like, send it to this lady. She's a big deal. And she was like, wow, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> but she said, you know, your writing is good. Keep going. Um, and I took that as confirmation that I, I was going to be the best writer in the world. And then I kind of just sort of chipped away at it from then. I became a journalist because that's what I knew. But honestly, if I was going to do it again, I think I'd go into TV writing or something else because I was always just dying to embellish everything when I was a journalist. I didn't, Politico, if you're listening, I did not, but I wanted to. You know, people would give me quotes and I'd be like, really? How about, how about, <laughs> yeah. how about we rephrase it? <laughs> Let's rephrase I have a suggestion for you. Yeah. Um, Maybe you're feeling so, this way rather than that way. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember one of my last, uh, like, um, you know, where the editor, what do you call it? Review. My editor-in-chief at the time brought me in and he was like, Karen, you're a great writer and you're a slow reporter. And there was, I hope truth to that. And I was like, I think I want to do something else. So I had an agent. I had an agent because I wrote for the Huffington Post before. And I wrote like a really ridiculous, but fun article about men's bathing suits <laughs> and about how I was really sad that it was the Summer Olympics. So I think it was like 2008. Very serious topic. Yeah, it was very serious. It was about how the Speedo had gone the way of the Dodo and it was now those like full body suits and how very sad for spectators like me who enjoyed men swimming for all the wrong reasons to have to deal with this. I mean, I probably wrote this in an hour. I mean, I just shot it, it off. A gut and feel. It, it was a gut feel. It was anger burning inside of me. And it was really early days of the Huffington Post. So they put it on the homepage, which like this would absolutely never happen anymore. And they put it on the homepage for like two days because it was doing pretty well. And an agent saw it and wrote to me and she was like, hey, like, do you want to write a book? 
And I was like, oh, I was born to write a book. So um, she was like, great, we'll write the whole thing and then we'll try to sell it. And then the odds are very, very low that we will. So somebody contacts you and says, why don't you write a book? Where do you start in terms of what you want to write about to start with? I mean, had you been thinking that you might like to write fiction? Being a journalist, had you been thinking you might like to write nonfiction? Or is it that you went, you know, how how do you kind of decide where you want to be in that space? Yeah, I think I was young enough to have like blind confidence in myself, which is, I don't have it anymore, but then Mm -hmm. I did. And I knew I wanted to write fiction. She wanted me to write nonfiction because yeah. I was a journalist. Mm. So I tried to write a book on DC sex scandals because I knew a big one that still has never come out. But then I wrote two chapters and I was like, I'm out of scandals. <laughs> and she was like, find more. And I was like, that's very hard, actually. Um, so then we decided I should try to fictionalize my workplace. So I ended up writing my first book about Politico. And I mean, tell me about not, that. Uh, it's called The List. So the newspaper is called The Capitalist. And when I worked at Politico, everyone called it the Hunger Games of Journalism. And it really was. I hope it's gotten better for everyone who works there. But like people would just throw you off a roof to get a story, you know, your, your colleagues. And it was no place for women and no place for people of color, really. So the organization. A, yeah. And there's been so much written about this. I mean, I'm not the only yeah. one who feels this way, but um, and, you know, I think they made some major changes, but it was a crazy place to work. Mm-hmm. And I I turned it into a book. I mean, honestly, like 90 percent of the things that happened in that book actually happened. But you change some names, you call it fiction. And there you go. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you you decided to write that book. You've got yourself an agent. The other problem is selling it, is getting published, isn't it? Yeah. So I think when you get, I got an agent so easily and then I, I got a book deal decently quickly too. So I was like, whoa, like this is great. You know, I'm at a big five publisher in America, Simon & Schuster, and I've got this great agent and like, uh, this is going to be an instant New York Times bestseller, like obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote it. I mean, it was written, but then I went into edits and my editor was like, well, what day is it on this page? I'm like, I have no idea. She's like, what what is motivating these characters? I was like, I have also no idea. Like, I can write a great sentence, but storytelling is such a different beast. And so I kind of got a very quick lesson in humility Mm. and how much I was still learning as as an author, I mean, your debut, what do you know, really? When you said earlier on, you know, and I wrote 100,000 words, you know, and I had to learn how to write 100,000 words, I think that's what you said. But mm. I just thought at the time, that's just a minor part of it because people are going to want to read your 100,000 words. Isn't that annoying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'll say this, you don't want to read your 100,000 words. <laughs> like. So how did you know the difference between, you know, you say your first book was awful and Mm. your next book isn't. (laughs) Um, People tell me, talk to me about that, like say when they're making a film, they get a sense of whether the film is tracking, you know, it's going to be a good film just in production. But with books, tell me that how you felt one book was better than the other. I mean, how does that transpire for you? Did you learn anything? Did you study in the middle of that? Did you go do a writing course? 
Well, in the middle, I, I worked as a journalist for almost a decade. Yeah. So I think that yeah. that was really getting thrown in Absolutely. the deep end. But it's short um, form. Yeah, but it's short yeah. form, though. I was always one who was like, here's a 2000 word piece for you. And they'd be like, we asked for 400. I was yeah. like, really? That's so much to say about this. So length, for me now, I know a big sign of a book that it's good, one of my books, is that I'm by the 10th read, I still want to read it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, I think, is the book I just wrote now. I mean, fourth round edits on, I'm still okay with it. Like, I still enjoy it. And sometimes I pause and I'm like, what a sentence. (laughs) Um, But I will say this. I believe that all books, you know, if you have some talent as a writer, can be good books. It's just how much work are you putting into them? Because I think this first crappy book I wrote, Half Drunk in Paris, if I'd worked on it for two years, maybe it would have become a good book. You know, it was just that I didn't understand the amount of work that went into this mm. process. Mm. Um, but when you're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with your editor, at the time they used to edit in pencil. Some really still do. Yeah. I'm sorry, have we time traveled? <laughs> but um, well, yeah, I think I believe- pencil was the sign of courtesy that they're not, it's just a suggestion about your work. They're not kind of putting it in ink so it's permanent. I quite like that. Oh, I love it. bit old-fashioned old like that myself. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a nice way to look at it. Yeah. Um, I think that well, was if I ever reason. get anything in pencil, I'll, I'll You'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know why. Yeah. But I always tell people now, I'm like, don't be afraid of your first draft because that book for me really was just one draft. Like, at least it exists. Now you massage it and massage it and massage yeah. it. And I think the difference between a good writer and a great writer is how much work are you willing to put into it? I I, I totally agree with that as well. Uh, and I think too, those writers that embrace the editorial process, I think go on to be more, well, better stories, if you like. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Go back to, to being a journalist and your time in Paris. Were you working as a journalist in Paris or were you writing? Yeah, I was I was freelancing. I worked as a travel writer. That was like my first job out of college. Now, I think that's a good job. Oh, it was a good job. Badly paid, but it was a great job. And at a time where I didn't mind, you know, <laughs> sleeping in hostels and eating ramen for like three meals a day. It was amazing. Honestly, I did that for a few years and I went to something like 40 countries and it was amazing because I I lived so much. And I think to be a good writer, 
Yes. You've really got to live. I mean, all those experiences still end up in my books now, even though, you know, they're getting they're part further. Of further. Yeah, totally. Uh, my book I wrote that came out, my pandemic baby called A Hundred Sons, which came out in 2020, is set in Vietnam in, in 1930s Indochina. But I spent, you know, three weeks in Vietnam years ago, but it really, you know, really marked me. I loved it. And I knew one day I wanted to write something there. So, mm. you know, the people who are great writers who go from like college to getting a creative writing master's to working, like I salute their imaginations because I don't have it in me. I, I kind of have to make books like half fiction, half lived experience. Mm. With your travel, can you kind of tell me what your top two or three destinations were? Well, I never went to Australia, um, but I will. Obviously, I will. I really yeah. want to. Come to I'm a festival. About, oh, yeah. That would be mm. so cool. Mm. Um, let's see. Okay. For my 30th birthday, I went to Nepal and went to the base camp of Mount Everest. Wow. It was amazing. It was not glamorous and it was very hard. But, like, I literally stood there and looked at the top of the world and that was such an incredible feeling. Mm. And Nepal is such a neat country. Mm. Oh, okay. My best friend from college and I with like almost no money took a train from Hong Kong through Mongolia. What? Mongolia. Oh my gosh. It was incredible. It was just like, they'd be like, Oh, there's some dinosaur bones over there. (laughs) Okay. We had like a, military jeep that drove us around the Gobi desert and it was just you know you're living on I think we spent like seven dollars a day Mm. and that was incredible and then my my family's Japanese my father's from Japan and I lived in Japan for three years and I think Tokyo's the coolest city I mean I absolutely agree I I haven't been to to, yeah I've been to the other two you haven't been to the Gobi desert No, and I've not been to Nepal, but I went to Tokyo um, the year before COVID recently and I loved it. Three weeks in Tokyo, loved it. Yeah, that is is my dream. That's all I want to do is go back. No, there's such a creative vibe in that city. It's so, it's like the perfect thing to do after COVID. All the people, all the energy, all the art, like. I love all the it. light, all the food, all, all the, the all of it. Okay, yeah. so then you've kind of um, written yourself like into a genre, like you're writing historical fiction. Did you intend to do that, or is that not at all? Tell <laughs> me how that came about. So I didn't. My first two books were not historical fiction, which you know the one mm-hmm. loosely about Politico obviously wasn't. And then I wrote one more um, in the art auction world that wasn't. And then one day in 2000, I'm going to say 13, 14, somewhere around there, 14, my mom calls me and she said, you still have stuff in our house. You're very old. Get over here and clean out your bedroom. (laughs) So I was like, okay. So I go over there and in my closet was a stack of magazines. And some of them were alumni magazines from Vassar College where I went to college. And I procrastinated my task and started reading them. And one of them had this really beautiful woman on the cover and it just said, passing is white. And I was really interested. So I sat down and read the article and it was about Anita Hemings at Vassar College, who was the first black student to graduate in 1897 who passed as white. And I thought the story was incredible. So I Googled it 
There was almost nothing. There was the article I was reading and one more article written in like 1999. And I was like, this is fascinating. But I wasn't like, I'm going to write a book about this. I just thought it was really interesting. And, you know, it was my alma mater. I was very interested in her story. I, I care a lot about writing about women of color. And I talked to my agent. I was like, I read this really interesting thing. I don't know. Maybe it could be a book one day. And she was like, you should write that book. That That is a great book. Like, let's do it. Mm. So I did it. And then it did much better than my <laughs> other two books. So when you have something that does well, your publisher's like, do it again. So were you thinking when you were writing it that in a way you could just think I'm writing fiction? Uh, I'm writing nonfiction, sorry. Because of yeah, so, stories. But there's a lot of research. There's a lot of things you have to make up. But also, too, when it's based on a true story, there's a lot of truth. Yeah. And the truth was really helpful for a genre I had never written in before with something with so much research of someone who is a different race than I am. I mean, all these things I wanted to do very well and very respectfully. So having it grounded in some truth was nice for me as a, as a writer, but also there wasn't enough to make it a, a fiction book, a a nonfiction book. Like there was enough for an article, but there wasn't enough for Mm. a whole book. So I took what I had, the truth, and then I brought my imagination and shoved Mm. them together. Mm. There is an expectation um, from readers, I think, with historical fiction. The expectation is that you do, they can't be fooled. You know, they can't. That's true. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Oh, You've got yeah. to get your historical facts right, don't you? Yeah. I was very concerned about doing it. I wanted to do it. I thought this woman was an incredible woman and deserved, you know, to get a great book, even if she is no longer with us. I, I really cared about the story. So I probably researched this book like I've never researched anything in my life, you know, mm. And it's funny. I thought I had everything like really, really down. And then I was doing a book reading and a woman who was 97 years old and had gone to Vassar came to me and said, you know, that hotel you have in the book it was actually about half a mile closer to the campus and it's no longer there. And I was like, you know, I wish I had met you when I was writing this, but if yeah, that's see, my only error, yeah. I'm going to go like uh, celebrate. So see so, the detail. Yeah. Incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just got an email the other day about, in one of my books, I have tennis bracelets that clink. And the person said, you know, tennis bracelets, they don't really clink when they hit each other. And of course, you're like, thank you so much for your email. Like, I really appreciate you reading my book. But you're like, wow, Wow. you really have to be, you know, you're not writing sci-fi where you can just do what you feel like. I'm sure that has its own set of issues, but no, there is that added pressure, and I do think it can really intimidate people and keep them away from the genre. Mm, absolutely. And also I think you have a responsibility to that character, don't you? Absolutely. I I tell this story a lot, and when I come to Australia, I will show this image, but I was searching for Anita Hemings's yearbook from 1897, not hers, actually hers, but one of the yearbooks from 1897, And I had a search for it on eBay. I finally, ding, I bought it. It came to my house and I opened it and on the floor dropped a newspaper clipping perfect from 1897 with Anita's face looking up at me. And I just had chills. I mean, this looks like I, I, it looked like I cut it out of a newspaper yesterday. It's immaculate. And her face, her drawn, you know, pencil drawing face, just staring up at me. 
And I was like, Karen, do not screw this up. <laughs> like, do not screw this up. She's watching. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and it's like she went through so much in her life. You want to do right by this story, by this, you know, it's black history, it's women's history, it's American history, it's yeah. the history of women in education and all these things, you know, matter greatly to me. So, but all that said, it's at one point, you just have to kind of let yourself be free and write mm. well without all these worries weighing you down. Mm. And so when you finished that book, did you feel a little different to the other two? Like, did you feel that sense of completion that this story is something that is solid? Like, when do you hand it over to the agent? How did you feel about it? You know, I actually handed it over to my editor when I was in labor. I finished the oh, afterward wow. next book. You really I, do I like to add a level of complexity <laughs> to what you do. I know. Well, they said to me, my editor said to me, you can give us the afterward after you have your baby or before. And I was like, I will get this done. I will not spend the first week of my first child's life like ignoring it while I am on a computer. And hanging so over I, you. Yeah. But no, I felt like I felt like I had done it respectfully. I thought it was entertaining. And I thought it was a really important piece of history that had not been talked about. I think no one turns in a book and is like, this is a hundred percent, you know, the perfect book. Like you wish you could have it for 10 years, but if you ever want to make any money, um, you, you have to hand it right over. Yeah, right. Unless you've done it part, you cannot yeah. write a book. <laughs> okay. So I know we touched on this a little bit. So you got it published and then how did the Reese with a spoon scenario come about? So, you know, and I think this is a good lesson in patience. It yeah. didn't happen for over a year, a year and a half. So when it came out, it did pretty well. I had like three movie offer people interested. Yeah. So I was talking to like three producers right after, and it was super exciting, right? Like they they the way they talked to you, they're like, this is the greatest book ever written. We're going to, Oprah's going to buy it up. And, you know, like, you're just like, yes, dollar signs, you know, excited. <laughs> So all this happened right after it came out in 2015 and it all went away. So like from one week to the next, like all three people just kind of went quiet. And I was like, but what about Oprah? Like where, where are all these people who are so excited? And, you know, Hollywood is incredibly fickle. And I know that now, but then when it was, it was kind of, it was hard to stomach but I said to myself, you know, I'm in this business to write books. Like, I'm not in this business to write movies. If I were, I would just write movies. Mm. Um, so I just kind of let it go and kept writing books. And then over, I mean, a year and a half later, really, Reese Witherspoon read it and decided to option it and just called my agent. And that's it. Like, it was so easy. Mm. But if I had sold it to one of those people, it would have been stuck in option and she mm. couldn't done it mm -hmm. so in a way it was a blessing that all those people disappeared mm -hmm. uh only for reese witherspoon to rise up and option it so mm. yeah you never know i mean i've really learned that it's a long road and you look at these things that become tv shows now like some of them came out five six years ago i think oh or yeah, even things even yeah. more, you know, even books. I mean, it can be a long time in the making. Okay, so you're still writing? 
you're working I'm on something. Just yeah. finished Lucky Seven. We're going to call it Lucky Seven, my seventh book. Wow. Um, that will come out, I think, early 2023. You're usually yeah. done, as you know, about a year early. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm already thinking about my eighth. So I love it. You know, I hate writing first drafts. They're awful, but I love it. Mm. Is that your baby in the background? I can hear Yeah. <laughs> Just ignore the screaming child. No, I'm liking I'm it. I'm trying to pretend I don't hear it. So I, I can hear it and I don't mind at all. Um, Karen, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed oh, our conversation. So, so fun. And I, I really hope to come to Australia soon. And thank you, everyone at Better Reading and everyone who has read The Gilded Years. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.